white rabbit has left its writing on the wall. We follow like Alice and just keep diving down the... heard the statement, the devil made me do it, or have you ever said that statement? Will you clap? So we do believe, we established last week that evil does exist in our world, that evil is the temptation to do something or the act of doing something that we know to be wrong, and that there are different degrees of evil that exist here in our world. The first is just we know something is to be wrong, but we do it anyway. The second degree of evil is if we know something is wrong and we do it and it ends up hurting someone else, that's a little worse than just if we do it and it, it doesn't impact other people, it's just something that impacts ourselves, which ultimately, truthfully, things have such a ripple effect, they end up impacting others. The last degree of evil is when you plan on doing something with the intent of hurting other people. That's like the, the worst example of evil that exists. And so throughout scriptures, we hear this phrase or we hear phrases about Satan, Lucifer, the devil, demons. And so today, for just a few minutes, we're going to look at what do those phrases mean? Who are those examples? Truthfully, we could do two or three different sermons all around these, these names of Satan, the personification of Satan. We could look at the Old Testament, the New Testament uh, examples. And really, I'm going to try to give you the Cliff Notes version so that you're not sitting out there going to sleep in 45 minutes. We're going to look at what the examples are in the Old Testament, and then we're going to look at Job, and we're going to talk about Jesus when he was tempted by Satan and what that looked like, and then we're going to talk, we're going to talk about how does it impact us, how does evil impact each of us, and what do we do about it. So, we hear this concept, we talk about evil, we talk about the devil, we make jokes about it, there's Halloween costumes out there about it, and re in reality, the, the name devil, ha-satan, Satan, is only found in the Old Testament three different times. It is found in the book of Chronicles. It's found in a story with Zechariah. And in, then in the middle of those two examples it is found in the book of Job. The book of Job is a poetic book and it starts out with a prose. And so if you read the whole book of Job, it is about this man who was being tested. He was a man who was good and was being tested and tempted. At the beginning of that book, you see and hear this dialogue between God and Ha-Satan. When the word Ha-Satan, that's the Hebrew word for 
for Satan. When it is used, you see it used those three times in reference to an evil one, a personification of evil. But you also find that word Hasatan in the book of Numbers, like I told you about uh, in reference to God, Yahweh God. And what it means is the opposer, one who opposes. So it's not the definition of Hasatan, Satan, is not, you know, one man that has on the red spandex and walks around doing mean and evil things to the world. It is a phrase, Hasatan, a very real phrase, and it's found three times in the Old Testament. It's found a whole lot more in the New Testament, and we see different alliterations and examples of that word. You find demons, you find Jesus being tempted, and the word there is, as I mentioned before, diabolos, and that is the one, the accuser and the shrewd one. And so it's used in a lot of different ways. And so I'm telling you that to say, when we read scripture, and if you are a part of West, you hear me say this a lot, if you're new to West, when we read scripture, we can look at it lots of different ways. And we believe as United Methodists that when we look at scripture, we look at it in the context of scripture being the holy word of God given to us through man and interpreted through three different things, tradition, reason, and I just failed the test of Methodism. Uh, Scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. There you go. I did redeem myself, uh, Methodist people that watch. We interpret scripture in three different ways. And so when you look at each of these examples about Hasatan or the Satan in scripture, you have to look at the whole picture. I'm telling us that so that you, you won't get really upset with me if I say that perhaps there's not one individual that is known as Hasatan that brings evil evil about in the world. That evil does exist. It's exhibited in the book of Genesis. And a lot of times we think that's the first time that we see evil apparent in scriptures through Satan. And that is not true. Evil shows up in Genesis, but it's actually through a, a serpent or a reptile that crawls on the ground. The Hebrew word for Satan there is not Hasatan. It's a, the serpent that goes and tempts Eve and tries to lure her into doing evil. And so that's where that definition of evil comes back, doing that which we know is wrong and then, you know, doing it to hurt other people, etc. So I want us to understand there's three Three examples in the Old Testament that refer to the person that perhaps you and I grew up thinking about uh, or you've heard about, the Satan, Lucifer. And yes, there are other examples in the Old Testament where you see, like in Isaiah, there's Lucifer and he's cast out of heaven. But if you actually go and you read those scripture passages and you study them within the context of what they're written, you will understand that they're not talking about the, the man with the horns and the one evil person, that they are referring to some of the governmental leaders when they use that example. If you study the scripture in its truth and in its original Hebrew and in its context, but that does not discount that there is evil, that evil is personified in our world. And frankly, if we turn on the news, we can see that that happens, right? 
People live out of evil every day. I wanted to share with you in just a second some scripture of how we deal with evil, but I want you to pause for just a second and think about how perhaps you have encountered evil in your own life. What has happened to you in the past that you think could be attributed to the forces of evil? And then... After you think about that, I want us to wrestle with just a minute. Do we ever struggle with the presence of evil pulling at us and tempting us? Like I told you, there are a couple of examples in scripture. First, we have King David, and he had come into power. If you are familiar with the David story, he you know this, but if you're not, he is the young man that was sort of the the outcast of his brothers. His brothers had all gone to fight in a war. David was not included in that. Finally, they pulled him in. He goes to fight this, this gargantuan giant, and he kills him with a stone and a slingshot. And then later on, he becomes the favored one of the king and ultimately becomes king. So David's sort of the favored one with God. He rises in power, and then, if you've ever heard that phrase, absolute power corrupts absolutely. That happened to David. He decided that as king, he wanted to know how many people were living under his kingdom. And so he ordered a census to be taken. And if you read this example in First Chronicles, you will see this dialogue between David and God, uh, who we believe you know, revealed God's self to David in, in context of conversation and nudging in his soul. And God says to David, you know what? Taking a census is wrong. And all you are trying to do, David, is build up your kingdom, not the kingdom of God. So don't do this census. But then David is tempted by Ha-Satan. This is one of the examples that exist in the Hebrew scripture. And Ha-Satan is trying to get David to do it. So that tempting, that push to do something that we know to be wrong. Then there's another example that we see that word later on in the book of Zechariah. And Zechariah is having a dream. And in his dream, we see the word Hasatan. There's an, an individual that is in his dream standing before the heavenly throne and spewing out all this false information about the prophets of God. And so when you read that story in Zechariah, that word about that person who's spewing out all the wrong things, that is another example of that word ha-satan. And so you have those two examples, and then the one that maybe you're more familiar with, the book of Job. So at the very beginning of this book of poetry, we have this discourse between God and ha-satan. Satan or Satan, and they're sitting there. And so it's almost as if God knows that Satan's job is to go tempt people and, you know, try to ruin their lives as they go through this journey of life. And so you have God and Satan in a dialogue and God says to Satan, Hey, have you seen, have you seen my servant Job? He's a really, really good guy. And I promise, you know, he's, he's the whole package. And so Satan, 
Satan rebuttals God and says, well, yeah, sure, he's good. That's because he's got a cushy life. You know, Job doesn't have any bad things happening to him. So, of course, he's good. Of course, he follows all the rules. And so, God responds by saying, well, okay, we'll let him be tempted and tested and uh, promise he will still be true to who he is at the end. So the whole book of Job is about that temptation and that testing. And we see that in that book, whether you believe it literally or whether you believe it as poetic prose, Job does exactly what God says he will do. So perhaps the message to us here today, a couple of thousand years later, is that no matter how bad things are, No matter what our struggles are that we face in life and we find ourselves tempted to be angry and bitter, that at the end of the day, good always wins. That at the end of the day, even though Job endures all these trials and tribulations, he ends up okay. And not just okay, his life is actually so much better. And that's what we believe, right? As followers of Christ, if we choose to follow Christ, that the worst things are not ever the last things. So those are the Hebrew examples of Hasatan or the Satan. That is where evil is personified. And then in the New Testament, one of the first glimpses that we see of Satan is when Jesus, after he's baptized, he goes out into the wilderness to be at one with God and to spend time reflecting on this newfound Holy Spirit presence in his life. And he becomes tempted. And so we have this this example of Satan tempting Jesus while he's out in the wilderness with three examples. Now, that's where I think in our brains we start personifying Satan as the little man with the horns and the red spandex carrying the pitchfork and the cape. There's no denying that Jesus underwent temptation But let's think for just a second about what that temptation looked like. I don't think it's like the movies when there's a puff of cloud and then poof, there's this, you know, little headband horned man sitting on a cliff right beside Jesus and saying, hey, if you'll call your angels, all this can be yours. No, there's no puff of cloud. But there are voices and pulls at us just like there were for Jesus, tempting us to stray from the path that God has created each of us to walk. Remember, that's the definition of sin. Hamartia, when we, when we stray from the path, God creates a path for each of us. It is from our inception until our death and when we return to be at one with God. And that path is love. To be at one with God means to be at one with love. And so all our lives, we're intended to be on this path that leads us from point A to point B and to do it in a way that leads to life and leads to love. But we stray, right? We have words in our our brains that tempt us and pull us at calls us to stray from the path. Well, Jesus had those same voices and they pull at him as we see in scripture, but he stands up to them. He gives us an example of how we can. Do you ever have those voices that pull at you to stray from the path? 
That's where we understand that evil becomes personified for each of us when we encounter those situations or those voices. That's Satan, Hasatan, Diabolos, however you want to refer to it. That's evil. And it's trying to pull us off of the way that leads to life and leads to goodness. So a somewhat innocuous example, and please, I'm getting ready to go to Uganda, so I won't have email for 10 days if you want to write me. Um, wait till I get back. Uh, you might be a little ashamed of me. I'm a little ashamed of myself. So if you are, just save it for 11 days, and then you can tell me. Um, and I debated whether or not telling you this story, but, but it's real. And I'd much rather tell you my stories than, you know, say, hey, you know, so-and-so called me last week, and they told me they're thinking about doing this. And I told them, oh, no. So I'm going to use myself as an example. I'm a little scatterbrained, especially if I have a lot going on in my mind. And so periodically over the years, there have been times when I have gone shopping and I have left the store having things sitting under my pocketbook or I forgot to get the thing off the bottom of the buggy, and then I get out of the store and I realize I have shoplifted. Now, I'm not proud of that. I go, I take the buggy back in. I apologize profusely to the people. I was hoping you all would laugh a little when I told you that, and you just sat there looking at me stone-faced. I'm like, great, let's stop this example now and move on. But telling you the truth, so... The point here is we all have these voices, even, you know, preacher girl here. So Friday, I was a little stressed. I had a lot going on, Uh, needed to run copies for the Uganda Women's Conference on Thursday and Friday, needed to pack, had not started, didn't, had, couldn't even find the packing list. And so I was out running errands and I needed to buy a little bitty flashlight. And I also realized, ooh, what if at this women's conference we did this, this, and this? So I had these new ideas of things we could do. So then I totally circumvented my plan and went back through the store, got some things. We're actually going to wash each other's feet at the end of the women's conference, and we're going to give them a new pair of flip-flops. And so I was really excited about this idea. And so I'm absentmindedly pulling things off the shelves for my packing list, which I had finally procured and I get up to the register to pay and I start looking in my buggy and taking things out and I noticed that I had put the flashlight in my pocketbook. I was mortified. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, so I'm taking it out, looking up to see if there's any cameras up there where people are going to come swarm me and try to explain to them, I really do not intend to steal. I just don't think clearly when there's a lot going on. And so put it up on the, the shelf, everything was good, went home. Well, then Friday night, I realized I still needed three more things. So I took off to Walmart near our home and I decided I needed personal things and then I needed church things. And so I've got it all arranged in my buggy and then my phone rang while I was checking out. And so I forgot to put the little frescas that were on the bottom of my buggy up on the counter. I'm standing there. I've already put my card in the thing. She's already printed my receipt. And then I look down and there's the fresca. Now I had paid for one, but not two because I forgot to tell her that there were two because I was too busy on the phone. And this voice in my head said, no no lie, they'll never know. Just push the buggy. There's six people in line behind you. 
don't make them wait, no one will ever know. And so what seems like now for a 30 second to one minute diatribe in my brain, I stood there looking at the frescoes and I had my hand on the buggy and you know, I was tempted. I mean, certainly Walmart's a big corporation, right? I mean, don't you think they could lose, you know, 333 for the pack of frescoes? And then finally, the lady said, ma'am, we did not pay for those frescoes, did we? I said, no, we did not. <laughs> Here they are, take them, keep them. She goes, no, we'll ring them. I'm like, no. I was so embarrassed that that voice in my head had pushed me to do that. And you know, I can justify it all day long. I want the people behind me to have to wait. But you know what? I'm not the only one with that voice. We all have that voice. We all have that voice that pushes us to do things that we know are not right, to keep us out of trouble. You know, like we, we fudge things to our superiors in our work environments. We tell them that we've done things when we haven't, or, you know, we, we falsify numbers on a report. We saw the example in the banking world, right? Creating false accounts so that they could meet deadlines. I'm sure there was a lot of pressure on those people. I'm not saying it was right, but can you imagine all the stuff that was going on to make people want to do that or make them feel like they had to do that. That's that voice. We all have it. The question is, what do we do with it? And that's where scripture comes in. You see, that voice works on us in powerful ways. It tempts us to do the things that are wrong, like stealing a pack of frescas, or it also convinces us, it works in our brains to convince us that we're not really worthy of anything. And that's that self-degrading voice that pushes us down. And it makes us more prone to doing that which does not bring good and bring love because we begin to see ourselves not in the eyes of God, but in the eyes of the dark shadows that exist in each of us and in our lives. We begin thinking that we are lesser than and that no one could love us. It's like those tapes that play in our head. And if you're not old enough to know what tapes are, it's the DVD or the CD that plays in your head, the voices that go in there that tell us that we're really not as wonderful as we think we are. Remember all the times you've messed up. Remember all the times that you weren't what you thought you were and we begin to be shamed. And when we begin to feel that shame and let that shame define us, that's when we're giving in to evil, to the dark side, the dark force, or that which pulls us away from God. And so the beautiful thing is that we have a way in scripture to combat that evil so that's really what I want us to, to end with this morning. I want us to hear these words from the book of Ephesians. It's about the armor of God. It's how we combat the evil forces that exist in this world. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in God's mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with, and with the breastplate of righteousness in place. With your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. Years ago, I had the privilege of working with a lady as the organist of one of the churches that I've served at in ministry many, many, many years ago. She worked for social services. She was like the assistant director. And honestly, she was the kindest woman you could ever meet. If I ever needed anything, Scott and I were newly married. When we met her, I could always count on her to be there for us. Her family encountered some very difficult circumstances. Her daughter was raped. Her son got involved with some drugs and ended up going to prison. Her daughter chose to have the baby. And so this lady ended up, you know, trying to bail out a son from prison and paying all those fees and then having a 18-year-old single mom that was living with her, her daughter, and she was trying to support them all. And she was single. Five years later, after I'd moved, I got a phone call from her one day. And she told me that she had been convicted of embezzlement from social services. And she wanted me to know that before I heard it on the news. And then she began to weep. And she explained that, you know, at first, it was just some petty cash that she had. And then there was this one fund that existed to help single moms. And her daughter couldn't qualify because of some extraneous factors. And, you know, she always had intent on paying it back. But she really knew her daughter needed the help. So she started taking from those funds. And pretty soon, you know, that wasn't enough. And so she found other ways. And by the end, she'd embezzled over $100,000. That voice that exists in our head, it's a dangerous voice. We all have it. But the beautiful thing is my friend knew the beauty of redemption of God. And there's nothing that we can do that puts us so far away from that path that leads to life and leads to love that God doesn't bring us back. That's why the worship team sang that song, I'll take you back. God always takes us back. And when society finds ways to forgive one another, you know, we can have second chances. 
My friend now is an organist in another church. Can you imagine that staff parish committee or that strategic team trying to make that decision? Do we let you know somebody that's a convicted felon be on our staff? But that particular church believed in second chances. And, you know, here, 13 years later, all is well. God loves us so much that God gave us one that shows us what it's like to be tempted and how to withstand that temptation. And then God shows us over and over again through stories in Scripture that regardless of how bad it is, God always takes us back. Let us pray. Grateful hearts, God, come to you now for the opportunity to be taken back by you. We all have those voices that pull at us in our heads and sometimes they cause us to do things that do not lead in ways that lead to life and love. God, forgive us of those times and those things that we give in to those evil voices, the Satan voices that exist in each of us. And God, remind us and help us feel the beauty and the peace that comes in your redemption. For that is salvation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to thank you for worshiping with us today. Uh, we are glad that you're here. A special welcome to the Amspa family. And thank you for letting us have the privilege of baptizing your children. Uh, in just a second, this is a part of our Jamaican mission team. Lee is back there. Where are we going? Not Jamaica. <laughs> That's a Freudian slip that I was hoping for. It's Our Bahama trip. Our Bahamas. Yeah. I'm going to the Bahamas. Yes, I've been in a little denial, I think. Uh, we are getting ready to head to Uganda literally as soon as I say I'm in. And so uh, thank you for being willing to support this mission. I mean, six years ago, there was nothing there. And you and Williamson's Chapel and now others across the nation and world have been a part of building pod houses and orphanages. And so this time we're going to go host a women's conference. They're going to be doing medical work and we're going to continue to profile the children so that they can be sponsored and go to school and have meds to fight the disease of AIDS. There's so much great that goes. And so thank you. And it's a little stressful because it is on the other side of the world and um, they don't have bathrooms and that really wigs me out. So uh, anyway, uh, please pray for these folks. Leanne Rose is, is down the hall and you two and Lee back there and then we have some other folks we are meeting up along the way. Drake and Tyler are part of our family as well. So let us pray for this team, this trip and then we'll go in peace. Gracious God, it is a privilege to be able to serve you in mission and ministry both here locally and globally. Thank you for Pastor Jeffrey and I do ask now uh, for your safekeeping and as we go that you would use us to be vessels of hope. And may we be changed. May we see you in the people there that are so happy with so very, very little. May we learn what that means. God, please be with this church family. Continue to use us in this community and world to be a beacon of light and to overpower the shadows of darkness. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Go in peace. We'll see you in two weeks. Amy Cole's preaching next Sunday. Come to church. Thank you.